Hello again, everyone. This is your host, Gerald Tostawarek. I'm a licensed realtor in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and you're listening to The Real World of Real Estate. So my guest today is Anne-Marie Lurie from the Alberta Real Estate Association. She's the chief economist there. Anne-Marie, why don't you give us a bit of an introduction to yourself and a bit about area? Sure. So I've been working in this industry for really about 20 years now, doing all sorts of, you know, analytics side. I've, you know, ranged from doing commercial work to, um, you know, being on the inside of CMHC. So I've done a, a lot of this and I really... Um, I started with area a few years ago where they decided to expand into their economic analysis. Um, I have been doing it with the Calgary Real Estate Board for some time. So um, now we're starting to really expand that data that's provided um, across the province and doing it in a consistent manner. So, yeah. Okay. Anything else you need about area? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's good. Alberta Real Estate Association serves the, uh, the realtors, the licensed realtors in the province of Alberta. You're kind of like our membership uh, voice, I guess, in the province? I, I do provide a lot of detailed information and stats for members for them to use with their, their practice, and I, and I also kind of give them broad overview of what's happening in the overall economic situation as well as what's specifically happening in the housing market. So I kind of provide that broad stuff more to, you know, members and the public, but then I also spend a lot of time working to build up those tools for, for members that, you know, is, is a lot of that detailed information that um, they can use when their specific location that they're dealing with. Excellent. Okay, and so today Anne-Marie and I are going to speak a bit about the, the housing market in Alberta. Are we doing residential or, both, or commercial as well today? I think just residential. Sure. All right. So, and we'll go through different areas. So, I guess we're starting with uh, the housing market from when COVID first first hit and then we'll slowly move into where we are today so why don't you take it away and tell us a bit about what uh what you've seen sure so i think we had to put some context i mean our economy was generally just starting to recover we're starting to see improvements at the beginning of the year so we saw it you know january february housing activities so sales activity was starting to improve and this was following you know five years of really a challenged market so we started to see that improvement come and this is province-wide and then when COVID hit, everything really changed. Um, so this is where, you know, when we started to see the shutdowns, we saw almost an immediate impact on sales activity. So, for instance, April, province-wide, sales were down, like, almost 60%. So it was a real dramatic pullback. But what also happened with that is not only did sales pull back at that time, but so did the, the new listings coming on the market. So... Yes, there wasn't as much sales, but at the same time, there wasn't as many people who were selling their homes. So we've seen a bit of a shift in the market. As the economy started to um, open up again, what we started to see is some of those sales activity came back. And actually, over even the last quarter, we've seen some fairly strong sales activity year over year. But at the same time, those same level of listings have also not come back. So, So what we're seeing and why this matters is that we're moving, we've seen conditions now move into more tighter conditions than what we had prior to COVID. So what does that mean? Well, it, it, we're, when I'm looking at it, it's all about those supply-demand balances because, you know, if you're in a tighter market condition, that can help prevent, really, any price adjustments. And that's really where a lot of people have been concerned is that, you know, will COVID cause significant price declines and how is that going to impact the market? Right. And what we've seen is that, really coming out of the initial stages of COVID, 
our market is more balanced now than it was going into COVID because of that pullback in supply, adjusting to, again, the lower demand. So what that's done is that's really prevented prices from coming down. I mean, they've, they've generally remained relatively flat province-wide, but that is one of the impacts is because of that a supply adjustment. Now, that's generally what we have seen to date. Now, obviously, there are differences depending on your location in the province. We have seen generally everyone was affected. So, I mean, COVID didn't, it didn't just impact one aspect of, you know, one area of the province. It impacted everybody. But the impact that we've seen in terms of pricing does vary uh, depending on the location. And, and there's also several things, you know, to note kind of moving forward as well because, you know, the economic impact of what's happened with COVID is very significant. I mean, there was many things that kind of happened in the market to prevent a far worse scenario than what we're seeing today. So if we think back, even to when, you know, we first had the shutdowns, well, the government did step in and they provided support for people who have lost their jobs. And, you know, the ability for people to defer their mortgages, a lot of those things that happened really prevented a far worse scenario than what we would expect. So so that's, so that was really that initial impact, you know, but we're still struggling. I, I mean, I don't think we're over this yet. We have seen, I mean, some of that improvement in sales in the later quarter was in part due to the fact that, you know what, the spring sales were so weak and so low, a lot of that just kind of pushed forward into the following months. Now, as we move forward, that's where the, the discussion gets a little bit different because the economic fundamentals will have to come to play. Um, and there's a lot of things that I'm kind of watching for to see how things move forward. I mean, the, the first sort of impact that, you know, I'm looking at is, you know, will the jobs come back? I mean, we have lost nearly 200,000 jobs in this province since COVID started. Now, it's not as bad as the original expectations. So that's what's kind of interesting about it is that, you know, originally, you know, we had a steep pullback in, in jobs. They did start to come back, um, but unemployment rates aren't as high as what was originally anticipated. So we did see some stuff coming back, but we're still nowhere near back to where we were. And we're left with double-digit unemployment rates. Um, and again, this is following, you know, an economy that has really struggled for the better part of five years. So, so giving some perspective to that, I mean, you know, Alberta has also been somebody who's, like our province has been hit to a certain extent harder than a lot of the other provinces, in part because not only did COVID impact, you know, your sectors like retail and restaurants, things like that, like it didn't only affect that, but for us, it also had that direct impact on the energy sector where we saw that the oil prices you know, almost went into negative territory for a couple of days. Um, now it's come back since those levels, but this struggle in the energy sector is not expected to go away anytime soon. And what that's doing is it's causing us to have job loss beyond some of those sectors, but also into some of our more higher paid sectors. So, you know, we're seeing it now, again, depends on where you are in the province, but we're seeing that, you know, we had job losses in professional and technical services. Those tend to be higher paid positions that we lost. We, we've lost people throughout the energy sector again. And, and that's the next challenge is we just went through this not too long ago. We're starting to finally come back from that. And then the energy sector got hit again. And that is something that is not expected necessarily to change overnight. So, so some of those struggles are expected to persist well into 
next year into into next year. So so this is something that you know is going to be a lingering impact. And you know when you even look at activity throughout the province, you can see a bit of the difference. I mean, ignoring Calgary and Edmonton for a second because they are larger centers, but you know for instance, like Lethbridge and Medicine Hat, um, they've actually fared better through this. Like they haven't had prices decline at all. Um, their, their markets have actually stayed really quite balanced. They haven't had that same type of adjustment. Any reason um, why? Do you guys know why that is? In part because their their economies aren't so they didn't necessarily have that same job loss. Right. In in some of those because of energy sector, they're not reliant. Like Lethbridge especially is not um, reliant on the energy sector, so their economy has always been a little bit different than the rest of the province. Like so, even if I think about what's happened over the past five years. While many other markets have struggled, you know, Lethbridge has actually been pretty steady state because of, you know, the fact that their economy is much more of an agricultural base, um, even technical research on agricultural base, but it's very different in that aspect. So it's not as impacted by, let's say, what happens in the energy sector, right? Whereas, you know, some of the other other parts of the province are, Um, most other aspects of our province are, right? So... You know, but one thing that I think that has been fairly consistent is that supply pull-off has really helped. Um, I think when people first, uh, I mean, if we go back and think about what people first, the first expectation, uh, and I mean, we had, you know, people saying that prices were going to, you know, different organizations saying, calling for price declines of, and around that 20% range. You know, and part of that was the concern of, you know, what's going to happen, you know, when you have all these job losses. But what was, I think, a bit of a surprise is how much supply adjusted, so how much supply came off to prevent a far worse scenario. I, I think um, I did spend, I mean, even when I think about originally, when, um, you know, information started coming out, I mean, when you look at these job numbers, especially compared to historical recessions, this one is fairly significant. I mean, we haven't seen this type of job loss since, comparable to more of the 80s period, which, if anyone remembers what the 80s were in Alberta, it wasn't a great time. So so this is, you know, far worse than what we went through in 2015 and 16, um, as well as worse than what we saw through the financial crisis. So that's been some of the challenge, and that's why you're, you're hearing such concern about what impact that'll have. And, and I assure you, we're not through it yet. Um, there's still a lot of things that have to come out of this. Um, when I look at some of the other economic indicators, um, one thing to note, and especially when it comes to prices, is that even through various uh, previous recessions that we've had, like for instance in the 80s, yes, we had price declines. We did have, you know, from really the peak in 81 to the low in 85, that price declined by 22%. But what is interesting as far as when I look at these numbers is that it didn't happen overnight. Um, for prices to come down that much, it needs to have several consecutive years of weakness in your economy to see that sort of price adjustment. So, like, for instance, in the 80s, the first year, in 82, we only had about a 3%, and this was province-wide. We had a 3% price decline, but it actually increased in 83, going up to almost 7%. In 84, we had an, you know almost a 9% price decline uh, year over year. So... So when we think about prices and how things are moving now, um, you know, one of the key things that I point out is it really depends on how long it takes for us to start to recover. 
We haven't seen that adjustment now because of supply, but the concern becomes is what happens when people do have to sell. If people aren't getting back to work or, you know, that that's really the concern on a move forward basis and how can that impact the market? So, and, and people are generally concerned about prices. So, so, but it would take several consecutive years of weakness and we would need to see those supply levels come back up. And that's been the main risk. The concern is, is that now that the deferrals will stop on mortgage payments, will this cause, um, rising like will people have to sell um and that becomes a different scenario if people do have to sell so this is something we're kind of watching for as we move forward um i think to to many extents even seeing what happened to, to date i think we've been somewhat surprised of how strong sales have been and and one of the reasons for that is in part because of what we've also seen in the lending market so this is where we have to kind of go back and think what's happened um you know when this, so the stress test came in in 2018. What we saw happen when that stress test came in, we saw a dramatic shift in the market. So we saw a pullback in detached sales activity. Now, that doesn't necessarily come as a total surprise because all of a sudden with that stress test, it made it much harder for people to get into that cycle of the market. Um, so we did see some pullback in activity, and especially considering what Alberta was going through at the time, we were still struggling weren't back on our feet yet. We didn't, you know, people's incomes were affected. So we really saw that impact when the stress test came in. And I think what we're seeing now is that because rates have come down so much that there is people who were really pushed out of the market that could be coming back into the market today. Um, so that's one thing that we're, we think has actually helped because what we're seeing is that even though activities improved, it hasn't improved consistently across the entire housing market. So what we're generally seeing is most of the improvements are driven from the detached market now in part this can be because one prices have come down making it more affordable especially when you layer in um the lower lending rates this has maybe brought more people able to get into that detached market um and then there's also been that sort of discussion of how people's preferences changed um as being you know isolated with your family in a smaller space um really encourage people to think about, you know, maybe I can get a detached property. Um, maybe it's okay to go a bit further out if my work situation has changed and commuting in is not as much of an issue. So that I think is still to be seen. Um, it could be part of what's happening as well, but we've really seen that pickup being draw driven mostly from the detached sector. But again, it's not equal across all price ranges. For the most part, um, what we're seeing is that activity is very different for the more affordable price ranges versus the higher versus the higher price ranges. The higher price so, ranges have been hit harder. Yes, absolutely. So, what, so one thing that I tend to look at is I look at our market supply ratio that we use. That's kind of our our good measure of balance in the market. So, you know, how much supply there is relative to demand. If that number gets too high, then that's when we tend to see price decline, right? Because that's a reflection of too much supply, right? So, so what I also did is I took those, that information and I kind of broke it out by various price ranges. Um, and what I've generally seen is that, you know, in the lower, the most affordable price ranges, really of every product type, um, those markets, they're, they're not seeing conditions that are any worse than what we've gone through in the past five years. In fact, like especially now as we've moved into the later, the last most recent quarter, we've seen that those that month of supply number is actually lower 
than what we had over the past couple of years. So that means it's a much tighter market than it was, you know, not too long ago. I'm wondering Whereas, if I'm wondering if homeowners are saying I'm staying away from this. I don't want to sell on this. Maybe. Yep. Yep. That's that's for sure. It's not just because there's um, less people. Like it's not just about the demand side of it. It is absolutely about the supply side too. We've seen the inventories also come off in in some of the price ranges. The exception is in the highest price ranges. So some of the higher price ranges, um, especially in the detached market, um, we haven't seen that actually play out that way. We've seen that the months of supply has actually been rising and is higher than what we've seen in some of the past several years. So that's where that, that level of supply, and, and part of it is because there's not as much demand for those higher priced homes, um, you know, that does appeal to a, a smaller segment of the market, but the supply hasn't adjusted enough for that demand. So so what that tells me when I look at it, and especially when you think about it in the context of price movement, is that, that those higher price ranges, those are likely facing more of an adjustment in price than what you would see at the lower end of the market. Um, because the lower end of the market is actually a lot tighter than it once was. So you might actually have more price stability at the lower end of the market to see prices coming down at the upper end of the market. Okay, so, you know, when we think about what's moving forward and, and what's happening in the housing market, I would say that one thing that it will be consistent is that, you know, things will not be equal across all property types or by price range. So I think some of those challenges in the upper range will likely persist. Now, that being said, as prices continue to decline in those upper ranges, that could start to bring some people back. But that being said at the moment those are the areas that are are seeing much more struggles in terms of price adjustments is in the upper end of the market versus in the lower end of the market as well as there are differences by product type now i don't necessarily have the breakout um the product type by by every area of the province but yes um mostly through edmonton but i mean in, like even in calgary for instance what we're seeing is that you know the apartment sector of the market is continues to struggle so there is a big difference um, between the detached versus what's happening in the apartment sector um, the apartment condominium market is still struggling and still facing price declines um, we're not seeing some stability in prices at all in that sector um, so it, it's just struggling with far too much supply so I think for anyone who's active in this market um, or choosing to be active in this market they really need to be aware of what's happening in their local conditions, um, as well as just what product type they're dealing with, with price range, because trends do vary. And I think that's where um, a lot of our members, you know, can provide a lot of that support and looking at some of those details specific to their community, to their, their product type. Now, moving forward, this is where there's, there's been a lot of, you know, questions on, you know, well, this is what we've seen happen. We're, what happens from here? Um, and I think this is this is where there, there still remains a significant amount of risk um, when we think about our market. There's a few key indicators that I'm looking at at the moment. Obviously, employment is one of them. One of the things um, to note is that, yes, things aren't as bad as they once were, but we are still sitting with a relatively high unemployment rate in this province. Um, so we're still in double-digit unemployment rate. Yes, they've come down. Um, you know, September numbers were far better than what we had um, in previous months, but uh, the reality is we're still sitting with almost 12% unemployment rate. Now, some so, ge some genius some years ago came up with the the 
fantastic idea. Once you're out of work for a year, you don't exist anymore. Do you know on our employment numbers how much are the people that have been out of work more than a year and how much is is less than a year? You know, the ones that are counted and the ones that don't exist anymore? No, I don't have that breakout of how many people would be pulled out of it. I guess it'd be looking at the labor force numbers, and our labor force numbers have still risen a bit, but... Um, okay. Yeah, of course. It could be that our our actual employment rate is higher than that. I have no doubt about it. When I look at these numbers, I think about it more in terms of on trend and, and how does it compare to historical numbers. Um, okay. And at the current rate, at province-wide, at 12%, this is far worse than what we saw throughout the last recession in 2015 and 16. Um, it's far worse than the financial crisis, um, and it's much more comparable to unemployment rates that we witnessed throughout that period in the 80s. Is there an, argument, is there an argument to be made that these also might be more temporary in that once we get a vaccine or once it runs its course, things might return? Is that a fair statement or is that just... That is absolutely fair. So, so one thing that is, you know, because some of this is just caused because, frankly, we're just not back to business as usual. Um, so we could start to see some of the, and we have started to already see some of those jobs come back, especially in, you know, if you think about the industries, um, like I said, retail, we're starting to see some of those jobs come back in the retail trade area, accommodation and food services, other services areas. Those were kind of the hardest hit. What concerns me is the job loss that we've seen in the primary and utilities, um, as well as professional and technical services, um, manufacturing. Those tend to be more related to our energy sector. So while I do agree that you know a lot of these jobs, and, and will it be all of them? I'm not sure. Um, we don't know how many of them will come back and how long it'll take for them to come back. Um, in like those areas like retail um, and those areas, what concerns me? is what will happen and, and how long will it take for the jobs in the energy sector to come back. Um, yeah. You know, and there's been a lot of discussion of, well, you know, and, and I mean, we, we talk about diversification, but those things take time. Um, so even if there's new industries that are coming in, it'll take time to get some footing in that. But that is really the concern about more of a longer term impact and how long it'll take for us to kind of come back to more normal conditions. Um, so I do I do agree that some of these jobs will come back, but again, what's unknown, and the big risk is, first of all, will we go through a second set of shutdowns, right? Um, I generally don't think that that will be the case. I think the province will try and avoid to do a shutdown again. They might have some targeted stuff that they have to do. Um, but the concern with that is, is, you know, how many companies can survive a second shutdown? So will you actually have more businesses shutting down? Um, how many businesses will become insolvent? And, and that is a risk because obviously that, that plays all the way through your market. Um, one thing we're starting to see on the commercial end is we're seeing that vacancy rates are rising in areas like retail, um, which has been traditionally fairly strong. I mean, the office market, to a certain extent, especially in Calgary, has been struggling for some time. Um, so that's nothing really changing, but we're seeing some of that rising vacancy in areas like retail and industrial. So, so those are those are a bit of a concern for me in terms of longer term implications, you know. But and, and again, how long is it going to take for things like for people to start flying again <laughs> and, yeah. and all of that? Like, how long will that take to get back to what, is, what was before is really the unknown, and that 
can give us that indication of how long is it going to take for us to recover. I mean, putting some perspective, this is expected to be, um, you know, one of the worst recessions that we've seen in terms of that pullback in GDP. Um, so estimates, and estimates range on, you know, what they're thinking, but I, I mean, we're, you know, some of the recent estimates show about a nine, expectations of a 9% decline in our economy. In GDP. Um, in GDP. That's, that's massive. Far, that's massive, yeah. So, so that's the concern, um, is that how long is it going to take for us to get back on our feet? And put in some perspective, that 9% is a lot higher than most other provinces in this country. Um, the, the only exception is Newfoundland and Labrador, which is, again, energy-type-based economy um, facing you know a, a stronger decline than us. So, so that is one of the concerns, is that because it's not just COVID, but it's that extra impact that it's had on the energy sector. And, you know, when I look at prices, and, and I do, I mean, <laughs> to put some perspective to this, um, we were already struggling over the past five years from the last price decline in 2014. And I mean, yes, we have recovered not to pre-2014 levels in terms of oil prices. Um, but now, like, even with the way that prices are projected, I mean, we're still not expected to get back to 2018-19 price levels until at least 2022. Uh, so that's a bit of a concern when we think about... So at least, um, so that's a best-case scenario? Yeah, and that's, <laughs> and again, I take I take these forecasts. So, um, but yeah, so, so the concern, so, so there's not expected to be that increase in the energy sector anytime soon, and it's getting reflected in other numbers. Like, so we're seeing that... Um, that the, the investment dollars are falling further in that sector, right? Um, and, and when we think about how does this all tie into housing, well, if if there is an investment coming into that sector or any other sector, really, for that matter, then we're not necessarily going to see that same type of job growth moving forward. So that's where the concern becomes. Um, you know, oil production is down, you know, roughly about 12%. Active drilling rigs down 66% this year. Wow. Um yeah, so so really, uh, you know, and natural gas production's down too, right? Mm. So so all of those things don't um, look great at the moment. Now, you know, and that's why there's been a lot of discussion that you're hearing as of late, going, well, what are other options? Are there options in lithium, um, lithium mining, and and can we take some of that knowledge and technical expertise that we've had? In the, in the oil sector and see if we can transform it into other areas like hydrogen, like lithium. Like, and so that's where a lot of those discussions are having. And frankly, that's how the oil sector kind of came up to begin with. I mean, if we think prior to these, some of the oil boom that we've had, a lot of our market was more based on natural gas. And we saw some of that shift into more oil. But other than that, it's still an energy product. And and it, it kind of makes sense. If, let's face it. If people aren't driving, if people aren't flying, um, they're not needing as much stuff, that impacts the oil sector and the energy uh, the sector in, as a whole. So uh, that is a general expectation that it will take some time for that to recover. So obviously for me, that's a bit of a concern because despite discussions of um, you know diversification and how can we shift our economy, those things don't tend to happen overnight. So that could point to further weakness into 2021. And if people aren't getting back to work and if we don't see some of that job growth happen, 
beyond what we what we had, then that will tend to start to weigh on housing demand as well. So, so thankfully, we have a low interest rate environment, which is offsetting some of those impacts. Um, but that is something to watch for. And, and one thing that I will be looking for closely is are we going to start to see those numbers rebound in the job market? Um, another area that supports uh, housing demand tends to be on the migration front um, as new people come in. Now, again, numbers here don't look great. Um, you know, and I mean, our recent, now, some of that's not, really, I mean, when your climate shuts down, that means nobody's really moving either, right? Um, and, you know, the last quarter, Q2 is the most recent number in terms of uh, province-wide net migration, um, dropped negative, right? And, and we haven't had that for some time. I, I mean, even through that 2015-16 period, yes, we were losing people in terms of interprovincial migration. So people were leaving um, our province to go to other provinces in the country. But we still had international migrants and enough of them to offset the losses on an interprovincial basis. Now, what we've seen in the most recent quarter is that our international migrants number is also pretty much next to nothing, and we had people leaving our province as well. So we actually had an outflow for one quarter. Now, the concern with that, obviously, is that will start to also impact housing markets, especially you know depending on what's happening on the new construction front. So. You know, we have seen some pullbacks from builders and that, you know, the, the starts levels have come down, um, especially in the higher density stuff. Um, but again, it, it, we'll see if that migration pattern continues. Um, I think initial estimates were fairly strong on migration. And I remember looking at them going, I think that's a bit strong, but, you know, we'll have to see how the next few quarters play out. But if we don't have people moving here as well, then that also impacts that demand or future demand for housing as well. So those are a couple things that I'm looking for. Right now, when I look at some of these indicators, it could point to further weakness um, and potentially see some of those supply levels come up um, into next year. And that's because if you don't have enough demand replacing it, then that just becomes a concern if that supply does have to come up. So one of those concerns and those risks that I see in the market is could we start to see um, rising supply again based off of the demand and that could cause some downward pressure on pricing um, if that moves into next year and it depends on how quickly our labor market can recover. Um, so, so those are things that really are weighing on me in terms of a risk um, moving forward um, because you know we're just we're not out of this yet. I, I mean we still have um, you know a significant amount of people unemployed We've had job losses. Um, yes, some of them are returning, um, but not. But we're still well below what we were last year. I, I mean, we're just nowhere near the employment levels we had before. I think um, <laughs> when you look at the numbers, I mean, there's less people employed today than there were, I think, like even in 2014, like at, at when our economy was doing really well. So. So there's a lot of people who still really have lost their job in this province and haven't come back quite yet. So I've got so many questions that have come up, but here's one question. Has has anybody studied the economy and the economic recovery after the 1918-1919 flu and see what happened there? 
Um, I'm, I'm sure some people have. The, problem, the challenge has been a bit of data, getting all the, the right data and having some of that historical data in place. Um, so I haven't been able to go quite back um, that far. Um, the best that I could do is really look at that period through the 80s, um, which was a, was a significant challenge in our problem. Um, and, you know, that was an adjustment that, you know, it took really from you know, the first oil shock that we had in the early 80s. It took us, um, you know, almost a decade to really come out of that. Um, and, you know, that's, that's like our best context because we don't have all that information. I personally don't have all that information from the 1915. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, when the, the first sort of Spanish flu kind of came out, um, you know, but, you know, in that 80s period, we think about it, prices in the housing market didn't recover until 1989, and they started falling in, in 82. So from 81 yeah. to 89, and then if we think throughout a period of the 90s, I mean, we did have a few smaller recessions in within the 90s, but we didn't, it was pretty flat. We didn't have a lot of growth for some time. It only really started to pick up in that late 90s, early 2000s, when we saw, and that really corresponded with um really the boom that we had in the energy sector. That's when we started to really see a shift in our our, our market and our housing market was through that period there. Um, so um, that's really our best context because if, you know, we think about in the 80s, you know, it was still very different. We had very high lending rates. We had a lot of foreclosures in the market at the time. Um, so that was a very difficult time. So, so in some aspects, that's why I'm looking at it today compared to back then. Um, now, again, prior to that, I don't have a lot of information before that, uh, especially for Alberta. I think there is some national statistics on that. So. Okay. Now, back in the spring, I remember when, when oil prices originally were quite weak, part of the big part of the problem was the fight between, uh, I forget, it was Russia, and was it one of the, was it Saudi Arabia and Russia were having a fight? Yeah, yeah, the OPEC countries. <laughs> How's that? Is that still going on? Did they resolve that? Is that still part of the problem? Well, they did. They did actually reduce. They did do some supply adjustments to help. Because uh, I mean, obviously, they don't want prices that low either. So they did still do some adjustments. Um, but even then, if you look, part of it is it's not just on the demand. The demand, worldwide demand, because COVID didn't just affect. North America is affecting everyone. So the worldwide demand for oil has, has dropped because it's not just us that aren't flying, it's and you know, driving and all those things that we do that that great demand for oil. Um, this is happening everywhere. So this has been a significant impact um, you know, on a global scale. So so that's partly why that even though they have made some adjustments, oil prices are still expected to remain quite low until demand can shift. Um, and that is some of the challenges, right? So yeah. they did, it's not as bad as it was. We're not in negative pricing territory by any means, um, like what we had kind of during that period, because yes, they, you know, Russians and all of that stuff that was going on caused our prices to fall, you know, to levels that were lower than what we have seen. But again, the expectation is that prices aren't expected on a, a WTI basis, so not even, you know, what we get. Okay, so... You mentioned that the deferrals have come to an end or are coming to an end on the on the mortgage payments. Has anyone studied the risk level there to look at how many how many mortgages are at serious risk, how many are at moderate? Has anybody done the numbers on that? 
I, I don't know if there's been any specific numbers done of that. I mean, I, I'm sure I'm sure some of the lending institutions have, but they don't necessarily provide that sort of detail. Um, the only thing we really know is that 20%, um, and this is according to CMHC, 20% of the mortgages in Alberta were deferred. Now, were wow. they deferred because, yeah, and it's, and we are one of the, high, we are the highest province in terms of the amount of deferrals that actually occurred. But the question is, and I don't think anyone assumes that most of those will end up in trouble. I don't think that is the case. Um, you know, some of the deferrals could just be an opportunity for people to kind of catch up on other things. People defer for a number of reasons because they could. Um, yeah. So I think when we move forward, I think that's, that's really, you know, we know how many were deferred. What we'll be looking for is, you know, one of the numbers I'll be watching closely is, are we going to start to see the number of new listings rise? Um, it's something we haven't seen to this stage because new listings can rise for a number of reasons. Um, they can rise because prices are increasing. Um, they can also rise because people have to sell. Um, so far, you know, at least on a year-to-date basis, our listings are still down below what we had last year. They did see some pickup in September, um, but at the same time, sales also picked up. So they've been somewhat matching. So we're still seeing a market that's fairly tight, but relative to what we had before. But that is the number I'll be looking at to see, you know, if we're starting to see that those number of listings is really outpacing the growth in sales. So, so that's where we look at that sales to new listings ratio. Um, which gives us an indication of out of however many new listings that have come onto the market, what percentage of them are selling. And, you know, right now we're in a very healthy territory um, in terms of the amount of listings on the market versus the sales. What I'll be looking for is, is there some shift in, in that number um, as we come through this? And again, I don't know how much of that we would see over the next several months, or are we going to start to see that push into next year? Um, because you got to think, even if people get into certain financial trouble, the last thing they want we go is their home. Okay? So they're 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 wanting to you know keep their home as long as they possibly can. So so that's in part um, why I think that if we're going to see some of these troubles, we might start to see it more into next year versus the end of this year. Okay, and, and like you said, a lot of that is I'll defer because I can. Or why yeah. not, you know, get, like you said, catch up with something else. So now, what about, I guess, what I would call maybe the elephant in the room, and that is this monstrous level of debt that our governments have taken on over the course of the last six months, combined with the incredibly low interest rates, that, and I don't know if it's that big of a risk, but there's always that risk of interest rates rising throwing the whole thing for a loop. Uh, you know, if interest yeah. rates rise and the government debt rises, any is there any thought around that? Is that being watched? Is that a, considered a concern? Well, there is some risk in terms of, so, so Bank of Canada is, is, yes, they've lowered the interest rate to help through this period. The concern is, um, but they are also concerned about what they're seeing in the housing markets across the country. Right. So, you know, they are... are highly concerned about the level of debt Canadians are taking on um, with their housing markets. And, you know, for some perspective, you, the housing markets in Toronto and, and Vancouver are hitting, you know, new all-time record highs in terms of sales. 
right? So we're we're not there. Okay, so so Alberta's been a little different. Yes, we've improved. We've seen some stronger activity, but we're not hitting new records. I mean, we we're still well below what we kind of had um, before the past five years, right? So. So we didn't see that, but the concern is if, if you see some of those housing market um, changes, there's two fronts to this. If, if they're concerned about the housing market, are they going to put in more measures similar to the stress test that's targeted to cooling the housing market? Um, and that can have a different impact on, on the housing market specifically. The next thing, because I think their, their, their willingness to increase rates um, they likely will not do that anytime soon because they, the economy is still struggling. Even Canada-wide, their economy is still struggling. So it's not like it's just Alberta. Yes, we're hit a bit harder, um, but the entire country is, is expected to see pullbacks in, in GDP. So so right now, I don't think it's a short-term risk, but as we move through this and economy starts to improve, um, yeah, there is a significant amount of debt. And at some point, that has to be somewhat paid <laughs> so so there, there is going to be you know it's it's the trade-off of growth today versus growth tomorrow and and what will that mean for you know people coming up through the system in the next several years and and how long will that take and what type of financial impact will that have will they have to start cutting services and that really is the unknown in terms of how much of a, a, a future sort of um, pullback that we'll have. I mean, the idea is that they're spending today with the end, just like the expectation that they'll they'll deal with it in the future. Um, but at some point, it will have to be dealt with, um, and that could, you know, really it, it's impacting growth in the future, right? So yeah. that is still the unknown. What on a more shorter term basis, the concern is, you know, will they start to implement other policies like they did with the stress test because they're concerned about the level of debt that Canadians are taking on. Um, in the housing market specifically. So so to me, that's more of a, a near-term risk as we think about in the next year. Longer term, um, obviously, yeah, I don't know, if interest rates do start to rise, that does become an issue and, and does it start to impact services that governments are providing. So the Bank of Canada is caught between a rock and a hard place at the moment. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and you have to think that's, you know, so when, even over the past few years, when they in, implemented the stress test, that came at a time in Alberta, it was very difficult because we were, our economy wasn't doing well. We didn't have that same level of growth that they were seeing in other areas of the country. So to all of a sudden have that increase was hard for us because we didn't have the income growth. We didn't have all of that happening. So... Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see if they do anything further because I'm sure they're a bit concerned about what's happening in the housing market again with the lower rates. All right. Now, as we mentioned earlier, the market has been very brisk lately uh, and it's quite possible or even probable that it was the catch-up you talked about from the dead period. Any? Have you seen any any signs of it taking a turn for the worse yet? Is it still steady? in general uh not yet it's still been and and to a certain extent fairly surprising like it's been um i think we had expected to a certain extent that june july august numbers would be a little bit stronger as a, a bit of a catch-up but this is filtered right into september so we haven't seen any adjustment yet and you know part of the reason is because of the really low rates and i think what we're seeing is is not just catch up over the spring of this year but catch up from people who were pushed out of the market 
several years ago when the stress tests first came in as, and that qualification became much harder. So with the lower rates, some of that spread in qualification has also changed. So. Okay. Well, I'm actually pretty hopeful. I think I think when we come out of this, whether it's in three months or, or, or three years, when we come out of this, I, I get a feeling things will, will really pick up slowly, steadily, and, and I think it'll be good. Um, you know, we look at the, I'm, I'm saying this half in humor, but after the 1919 flu, we had the roaring 20s. <laughs> but I think it's like, you know, it's like somebody pushed the reset button on the whole world this year. And yeah. maybe we're getting a needed reset and everyone's coming back to reality and things are, are getting back to a base um, for maybe some sustained, steady, um, responsible growth. I don't know, but I'm hopeful. That's that's my thought. I don't know how the... Uh, I know the old joke, you put all the economists together end to end, they wouldn't reach a conclusion. But <laughs> is there any consensus along that line, what the future holds in the economic community? I had to throw an economist joke in there, hey? Yeah, no, of course. <laughs> and you know what? It is true. I, I mean, I think, you know, as class, we tend to focus on the, the, the nearer term, and, and, and we do think long term as well. But I mean, you can't, like, at some point, people are still having children. They're still, like, they're still moving through, you know, life, essentially. And, and I think that, yes, things will have to, you know, somewhat come back to a normal. Maybe it's a different normal, but it doesn't mean that we just stop. I mean, maybe there's more technological growth that we see. Like, there's other areas of opportunity and areas of, of, of growth potential that, yes, it might be hard over the short term, um, but I, I'm also optimistic over, you know, what this could mean as we move forward and what type of growth we can have. And even in this province, I mean, people forget that, you know, we are, we adapt fairly well. Um, you know, yeah. we have faced a lot of challenges over the past several years and we're, we've come, we're, we're starting to come out of it and we will come out of this again. Um, you know, we've seen the challenges in the 80s. We came out of that. We, we grew even stronger from there. Um, you know, we came through the financial crisis with uh, very little impact, if we think about that. <laughs> um, and even over the past five years, we, we were finally starting to get there. And I think, um, you know, I am more optimistic, I guess, on a longer term basis. Um, there is a lot of positive things about our province and this country. And I think that will remain that way. And, and you know, I think people won't stop coming to Canada. I mean, if we look at the level of international migration that we've had, I mean, that has supported a lot of our growth because people want to live in this country. So I think, um, again, I'm more optimistic, of course, for sure, on the longer term. I think you might face a bit of a bumpy ride here for the next couple of years. Um, but there is still a tremendous amount of opportunity. I agree with you. And I, I, think, that's a, I think that's a perfect spot to, to end the podcast. We've definitely been through these kinds of things before, and we've always come out of them. And while the news media loves any opportunity to predict the end of the world, it hasn't happened yet, and it isn't going to happen this time either. <laughs> no, so, that's right. <laughs> Anne-Marie, thank you very much. That's Anne-Marie Lurie, Chief Economist for the Alberta Real Estate Association. Now, Alberta Real Estate Association also puts out, I believe, market information for the public. Do you not? Yes, we do. So we have monthly reports that do come out on um, most cities. I'm still working on um, getting all that information for Edmonton in place, but um, we do have all that information on our website, and we continue to 
plan on growing it for both the public and the members. So. Do you happen to know the website address for the for the public here? Oh. If not, they can Google it. <laughs> I think it's albertarealtor.ca. I'm not sure, actually. Okay, I can't. Sure. Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, folks, if you just Google Alberta Real Estate Association or Alberta Realtor, I'm sure it will turn up. Um, so, Anne-Marie, thank you very much. Any final comments before we wrap it up? No, I think we covered a lot. Um, you know, I think I'm good. Okay, Anne-Marie, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure, and hopefully we'll have you on again as a guest soon. Bye for now. Bye. Folks, I've got a lot of good stuff coming down the pipes for you. My next one I should have ready is my interview with Councillor Andrew Knack from the City of Edmonton. That's going to be a really good one. We're talking about the future of the City of Edmonton. And there's some pretty interesting things. And I think, I think it would be safe to say the future of the City of Edmonton is probably indicative of the future of many cities across North America. It's going to be some pretty interesting stuff coming up in that interview. Look forward to that. Then I'll probably have Terrace Schmiel ready next, where we talk about just his life in real estate. He's, he's been a, a fixture of Edmonton real estate for many years. Great guy, if you know him, great producer. And we're just going to talk his life and how he got into real estate as a young man and some of his stories and how, how the industry has changed over the years. Then I'll be interviewing uh, Jeff Sutherland and Sid Waskowitz from Qualico, and they're going to be talking about what Qualico sees for the area for the future, what their plans are, what their thoughts are. Um, so we'll be looking for that. And then I'll be speaking with Lauren Jang from Century 21 Bravo Commercial in Calgary about the retail real estate in Calgary. I'll be speaking with Sabrina Wilson from Consolidated Civil Enforcement. We'll be speaking about best practices for multifamily residential landlords when things don't go right and you have to look to evict. Best practices to prepare yourselves for lease agreements, handling complaints, handling money inspections, repairs, uh, eviction notices, the type of claims at the RTDRS, Residential Tenancy Dispute Resolution Service, bailiff enforcement, debt recovery, so all kinds of things. This will be the first of several of a series looking at different aspects and different areas of commercial real estate uh, when you need to go to civil enforcement. So lots coming down the pipes, folks. We'll see you next time. This has been the real world of real estate. Bye for now.